Section 52 of the Letters of Madame de Savigny to her daughter and friends. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. Mary Blanche. You give me an excellent idea of your eldest daughter. I see her before me. Pray embrace her for me. I rejoice that she is happy. Footnote Mary Blanche, eldest daughter of Madame de Grignon. She was a nun at St. Mary at X, back to main text. The young Marquis de Grignon. Footnote, grandson of Madame de Savigny, back to main text. For your son, you may love him as much as you please. He deserves it. Everyone speaks highly of him and praises him in a way that would give you pleasure. We expect him this week. I felt all the force of the phrase he made use of to gain esteem, quote, which must come or tell the reason why, end quote. It brought tears into my eyes at the moment. But esteem has come already, and will not have to say why it stayed away. The reputation of this child is already commenced and will now only increase. Your son was last night at the Duc de Chartres ball. He was very handsome and will inform you of his success. You must not, however, calculate upon his studying much. He owned to us yesterday very sincerely that he is at present incapable of paying proper attention. His youth hurries him away and he does not understand what he reads. We grieve that he has not at least a taste for reading, and that he wants inclination more than time. His frankness prevented our scolding him. I know not what we did not say to him, I mean the Chevalier, myself and Corbinelli, who was rather warm upon the occasion. But we must not fatigue or force him. This taste will come in time, my dear. For it is not possible that with so much spirit, good sense and love for his profession, he should have no desire to be made acquainted with the exploits of the heroes of antiquity, and particularly Caesar at the head of his commentaries. Have patience and do not fret. It would be too perfect, very fond of reading. I am also of opinion that by reading we learn to write. I know some officers of rank whose style is vulgar. It is, however, a delightful thing to be able to communicate our thoughts. But it also often happens that these people write as they think and as they speak. Everything is in unison. Paulina. Footnote Paulina de Grignon, born in 1674 and married in 1695 to the Marquis de Simian, was noticed at five or six years of age for the agreeableness of her wit as well as the beauty of her person. Her letters were already looked upon as performances in which 
the pleasing and the natural were equally combined. She had scarcely entered her fourth year when she would occasionally utter repartees full of wit and pleasantry. She was not more than thirteen when she wrote at Madame de Grignon's request a small piece of devotion which the brightest genius might have been proud of. It is easy to guess how a person thus favoured by nature must turn out, educated under the eyes of a mother and grandmother whose good sense seemed, as it were, transfused into her. She excelled not only in the epistolary style, but also in the poetic, though she never wrote but for amusement. The solid principles of true religion, in which she was brought up, shone forth in her, amid the bustle of courts and secular affairs, and never with so much splendour as in the last year of her life, which she employed wholly in the exercise of the most sublime virtues of Christianity. Back to main text. I'm pleased with Colonge's praise of Paulina. It is well applied and makes me understand what sort of charms she possesses, curbed, however, by persons who have not given her the best nose in the world. But no, Paulina's nose resembled her grandmother's. Back to main text. If the Count had given her his fine eyes and fine person, and left the rest to you, Paulina would have set the world on fire. She would have been irresistible. This pretty mixture is a thousand times better, and must certainly form a very pretty personage. Her sprightliness resembles yours. Your wit always bore away the palm, as you say of hers. I like this panegyric. She will soon learn Italian, with the assistance of a better mistress than you had. You deserve as excellent a daughter as mine has been. I told you that you might do what you wished with yours, from her disposition to please you. She appears to me worthy of your love. Paulina, then, is not perfect. I could never have supposed that her chief imperfection would have been ignorance of religion. You must instruct her in this, which you are very capable of doing. It is your duty, and you have good books to assist you. In return, your sister-in-law, the abbess, will teach her the world. You astonish me by what you say of Paulina. Pray, pray, my dear child, keep her with you. Think not that a convent can repair the errors of education, whether as to religion, with which the sisterhood are very little acquainted, or as to anything else. You will do much better at Grignon, when we have time for application. You will make her read good authors, you will converse with her, and Monsieur de Lagarde will assist you. I'm convinced that this is preferable to a convent. Faith in Christ 
So then you read St. Paul and St. Augustine, two excellent labourers, to establish the absolute will of God. They never scruple to assert that God disposes of his creatures as the potter does of his clay. Some he chooses, some he rejects. They are at no loss to apologise for his justice, since there is no other justice but his will. It is justice itself. It is the rule of right. And after all, what does he owe to man? Is he in any way dependent on him? Not at all. He therefore does them justice in rejecting them on account of the stain of original sin, which is communicated to all. And he selects a few whom he saves by his son Jesus Christ, who himself says, I know my sheep and am known of mine. I will lead them forth to the pasture and not one shall be lost. I have chosen you, saith he in another place to his apostles, and you have not chosen me. There are numberless passages of this nature. I meet with them continually and understand them all. And when I find others that seem to contradict them, I say to myself, this is to be understood figuratively, as when we read that God was in wrath, that God repented him and the like. And I always abide by that first and great truth which represents God to me as he is, the sovereign master, the supreme creator and author of the universe. In a word, as a being infinitely perfect, agreeably to Descartes' idea. Such are my humble and reverential thoughts from which, however, I deduce no ridiculous consequences, nor do they deprive me of the hope of being of the number of the elect of God, after the mercies he has bestowed on me, which are so many foundations upon which to ground my confidence. The fire-eater. Yesterday a young man came here from Vitre whom I knew to have lived formerly as footman with Monsieur Coulange. Monsieur de Grignon has seen him at Aix. He showed me a printed list of the feats he performed with fire. He has the secret of a man you've heard spoken of at Paris. Among a thousand wonderful things that he did, and which I'm astonished the government permits on account of the consequences, I was struck with one in particular, which is soon done. This was the letting fall from his hand into his mouth ten or twelve drops of flaming sealing wax, with which he appeared to be no more affected than if it had been so much cold water. He did not make the least grimace or sign of uneasiness, and his tongue looked as fair and unhurt after the operation as before. I've often heard of these fire-eaters, but I must confess that to see the thing performed in my own room and under my very eye struck me with astonishment. Books We pass our time here very quietly. 
this you cannot doubt, but very swiftly, which will surprise you. Work, walking, conversation, reading, all these are called in to our assistance. Speaking of books, you tell me wonders of Monsieur Nicole's last production. I've read some passages that appear to me very fine. The author's style enlightens, as you say, and makes us enter into ourselves in such a way as discovers the beauty of his mind and the goodness of his heart, for he never scolds out of season, which is the worst thing in the world, and never produces the desired effect. I did not purchase the book at the time, which was in Lent. I contented myself with the good Le Tourneur, footnote Nicolas de Tourneur, confessor of Port-Royal, so well known by his excellent work entitled The Christian Year, and by a great number of other important works back to main text. We are reading a treatise of the pious man of Port-Royal upon continual prayer, which is a sequel to certain pious works that are very fine, but this, which is much larger, is so spiritual, so luminous and so holy, that though it be a thousand degrees above our understandings, it does not fail to please and charm us. We are delighted to find that there have been and still are people in the world to whom God has communicated his Holy Spirit and grace in such abundance. But good heavens, when shall we be possessed of one little spark of one single degree? How sad it is to find ourselves so far behind here, and so near in other things. Fie, fie, let us not name this misfortune. We ought to humble ourselves at it a hundred times a day. Liberty of mind. There are certain periods of life in which we attend to nothing but ourselves. You, indeed, have never been much occupied in that way. But when we came down this river together, we were more engaged in disputing about the Count de Chapelle than in admiring the beauties of the rural scenes that surrounded us. Now the case is exactly the reverse. We observe a profound silence a perfectly at our ease reading, musing, admiring, out of the way of all sorts of news and living upon our own reflections. The good Abbe, her uncle, is always praying. I listen attentively to his pious ejaculations, but when he has got to his beads, I beg to be excused, finding that I can meditate much better without them. In short, we managed to pass twelve or fourteen hours without being very unhappy. Such a fine thing is liberty. The nuns of Saint-Marie. My greatest satisfaction is in visiting the nuns of Saint-Marie. They are truly amiable women. They still retain the remembrance of you, of which they do not fail to make a merit with me. They are neither silly nor conceited like some you know. 
they do not believe the present Pope to be a heretic. Footnote, Innocent the Eleventh, who passed for favouring the Jansenists, merely because he took no steps against them. Back to main text. They understand the religion they profess and will never reject the Holy Scriptures because they have been translated by worthy men. They pay all due honour to the saving grace of Christ. They acknowledge the power of providence. They educate the young girls committed to their care very properly and neither teach them to lie nor to dissemble. No chimeras, no idolatry is to be found among them. In short, I have a great regard for them. Monsieur de Grignon would think them Jansenists. For my part, I think them Christians. There are two of them who have an infinite deal of wit. I shall go to their house tomorrow to write and shall dine with them on Saturday. They are all the comfort I have here. Moral Essays do you not intend to read the moral essays and give me your opinion of them? For my part, I am charmed with them. And so I am with the funeral oration on Monsieur de Touraine. There are passages in it which must have affected all that were present. I do not doubt, but it has been sent you. Tell me if you do not think it very fine. Do you not intend to finish, Josephus? We read a great deal of serious as well as lighter subjects, fable and history. We are so deeply engaged with these that we have scarcely leisure for any other employments. They pity us at Paris. They think us confined to a fireside by the inclemency of the season and languishing under a dearth of amusement. But, my dear, I walk, I find a thousand diversions. The woods are neither wild nor inhospitable. It is not for passing my time here instead of at Paris that I am to be pitied. History of the Bible. I am, moreover, reading the emblems of the Holy Scriptures. Footnote, History of the Old and New Testament by Monsieur de Sassy, Sir de Roamont. He composed this book in the Bastille. It is, they say, filled with allusions to the vicissitudes of Jansenism in that age. Monsieur de Sassy was president of the nuns at Port-Royal. Back to main text. The emblems of the Holy Scriptures, which begin from Adam. I have begun with the creation of the world, which you are so fond of, and shall end with the death of our Saviour, which you know is an admirable series. We find in it every circumstance, though related concisely. The style is fine. It is done by an eminent hand. The history is interspersed throughout with excellent reflections taken from the Father's and it's very entertaining. For my own part, I go much further than the Jesuits, and when I see the reproaches of ingratitude and the dreadful punishments with which God afflicted his people, I cannot help concluding that we, 
who were freed from the yoke to which they were subjected, are, in consequence, highly culpable, and justly deserve those scourges of fire and water which the Almighty employs when he thinks fit. The Jesuits do not say enough on this subject, and others give cause to murmur against the justice of the Deity in weakening the supports of our spiritual liberty as they do. You see what fruit I derive from my reading? I fancy my confessor will enjoy me to read the philosophy of Descartes. Affection I fancy myself qualified to write a treatise on affection. There are a thousand things depending on it, a thousand things to be shunned in order to prevent those we love from smarting for it. There are innumerable instances where we give them pain and in which we might alleviate their feelings were we to reflect and to turn things in all the points of view we ought out of regard to the object of our love. In short, I could make it appear in my book that there are a thousand different ways of proving our regard without talking of it, as well as of saying by actions that we have no real regard, even when the treacherous tongue is making protestations to the contrary. I mean no one in particular, but what I have written... I have written. Submission. I beg you will read the second part of the second treatise in the first volume of the Moral Essays. I'm sure you know it, but you may not perhaps have observed it particularly. It is on the subject of submission to the will of God. You will there see how clearly it is demonstrated that Providence governs all things. That is my creed, by that I abide. And though a contrary doctrine may be advanced elsewhere, to keep fair with all sides, I shall consider such conduct only in the light of a political stratagem, and follow the example of those who believe as I do, though they may change their note. Philosophy you say that I make God the author of everything that happens. Read, read, I say, that part of the treatise I have pointed out to you, and you will find that we are to look to him for everything, but with reverence and humility, and consider man only as the executor of his orders, from his agency he can draw what effects he thinks proper. It is thus we reason when our eyes are lifted up to heaven, but in general we are apt to confine our views to the poor, contemptible second causes that strike our bodily senses, and bear with impatience what we ought to receive with submission. But such, alas, is my present wretched situation. I join with you in believing that philosophy is good for little, except to those who do not stand in need of it. You desire me to love you more and more. Indeed, you embarrass me. I know not where to find that degree of comparison. It is beyond my conception. But this I am certain of, 
than I never can in thought, word or deed evince a thousandth part of the affection I bear you, and this it is that sometimes distracts me. Old Age So then you were struck with an expression of Madame de Lafayette's, quote, You are old, unquote, blended with so much friendship. Though I say to myself, that this is a truth which should not be forgotten. I confess that I was all astonishment at it, for I yet feel no sort of decay that puts me in mind of it. I cannot, however, refrain from calculating and reflecting, and I find that the conditions of life are very hard. It seems to me that I have been dragged against my will to the fatal period when old age must be endured. I see it. I have attained it. And I would at least contrive not to go beyond it, not to advance in the road of infirmities, pain, loss of memory, disfigurements, which are ready to lay hold of me. And to hear a voice which says, you must go on, in spite of yourself, or if you will not, you must die, an alternative at which nature recoils. Such, however, is the fate of those who have reached a certain period. I contemplate this evil, which has not yet proved itself so, with heroic courage. I prepare myself for its consequences with peace and tranquillity. And seeing that there is no way to escape, and that I am not the strongest, I think of the obligation I owe to God for conducting me so gently to the grave. I thank him for the desire he daily gives me to prepare for death, and the wish of not draining my life to the dregs. Extreme old age is frightful and humiliating. The good Corbinelli and I see a painful instance of this truth hourly in the poor Abbe de Coulanges, whose helplessness and infirmities make us wish never to reach this period. Sermons, when I am as good as Monsieur de Lagarde, if ever God grants me this grace, I shall like all sermons. In the meanwhile, I content myself with the Gospels as explained by Monsieur Le Tourneur. These are real sermons, and nothing but the vanity of man could load modern discourses with their present contents. We sometimes read the homilies of St. John Chrysostom. These are divine, and please us so highly that I persist in not going to Wren till Passion Week to avoid being exposed to the eloquence of the preachers who hold forth on behalf of the Parliament. The Marshal de Guamont was so transported the other day at a sermon of Baudelouse that he cried out in the middle of a passage that struck him, By dash, he is right! Madame burst out laughing, and the sermon was interrupted so long that Nobody knew what would be the consequence. If your preachers are as you represent them, I'm apt to think 
they would be in no great danger of their being interrupted by such praises. Josephus I'm glad you like Josephus, Herod and Aristobulus. I beg you to go on and see the end of the siege of Jerusalem and the fate of Josephat. Take courage. Everything is beautiful in this historian. Everything is grand. Everything is magnificent. Everything is worthy of you. Let not an idle fancy prevail with you to lay him aside. I am in the history of France. That of the Crusades has occasioned my looking into it, but it is not to be compared with a single leaf of Josephus. Alas, with what pleasure we weep over the misfortunes of Aristobulus and Mariamne. Hope ever. We should never despair of our good fortune. I thought my son's situation quite hopeless. After so many storms and shipwrecks, without employments and out of the way of fortune, and while I was indulging these melancholy reflections, Providence destined, or had destined us, to so advantageous a marriage that I could not have wished for a better alliance, even at the time when my son had the greatest reason to expect it. It is thus we grope in the dark, not knowing our way, taking good for evil, and evil for good in entire ignorance. Twilight I hate twilight when I have nobody to chat with. I'd rather be alone in the woods than alone in a room. This is like plunging up to the neck in water to save oneself from the rain, but anything rather than an armchair. Presentiment. Good heavens, my dear child, what fools your women are, both living and dead. Your top knots shock me. Footnote. It was the custom in Provence to bury the dead with their faces uncovered, and the women, who wore ribbons as a headdress, retained them in their coffins. Back to main text. What a profanation! It smells of paganism. Pfft. It would make me shudder at the thoughts of dying in Provence. I would at least be assured that the milliner and the undertaker were not sent for at the same time. Fie, fie. Fie, fie, indeed. But no more of this. Footnote. This passage might deserve the name of presentiment. All she feared came to pass. She died in Provence, and the very headdress which was so repugnant to her mind adorned her in her coffin. End of section 52